Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services, their Noki service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store local. It's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter Store Local, the largest storage co-op in the world. Just amazing people again, tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also uh, thrive in a world of competition with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local. Amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank. I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, <laughs> topics there in our, our breakout sessions. And And people want to know. They, they want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like, all these different aspects to financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc., Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of products and services, essentially, for your storage facility to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform. Just to scrape the surface here, their, their property software, the big thing about this is the API is open. So you guys can actually, you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that, that only uses proprietary X, Y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility. And uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self Storage Income. And I'm here 
as always, with my trusted co-host, Connor. How the heck are you, man? <laughs> doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, love being here and uh, love uh, diving into all these awesome subjects we've got on the list. And uh, today's is no, uh, no slouch, man. We've got a really good episode lined up. Excited to dive into this. Um, it's a huge question that so many people have uh, yeah. when they're getting into the industry. And, and it's, you know, they need answers, you know? Yeah, it, it really is the differentiator. And it, you see this a lot in... Um, I, I know and I understand people because I, too, was always perplexed by this question, and, and, and especially when you're starting out, right? Um, and a lot of people don't understand it. And so the, the big question is, like, we get a lot, would you do this deal? Would you not do this deal? Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, I don't understand. At the end of the day, the fundamental question is, is this a good deal or is it not? And honestly, that's probably where we excel more than anything else is we can identify the good deals. You know, we're literally raising, uh, we're doing fund one right now um, where we're raising uh, uh, capital. If you want to learn more about that or invest with us guys, the link's below. Um, but one of the things that our team does, because we're a fully integrated shop, meaning we touch we see every single part of the self-storage process we own we operate our numbers aren't questions it's not like we're wondering i wonder what the expense load will be right i wonder how this relationship between ad revenue and asset or um, prices work in this market and it allows us to underwrite and really see the deals that are good deals and the ones that aren't we you know we we this is uh the foundation of what we do. We need instant equity and instant upside in revenue. So we have to be able to identify those things immediately. And we have to say no to the all the other deals that are duds. Mm -hmm. And we go through lots of deals. And the reason why this is more important than any other question at this time is for the first time in self-storage, I'm worried about the duds. So if you go back in the last 10 years, right, it, it, five, six years ago, almost anything you bought was probably going to be fine, right? There wasn't anything that we looked at that were like, oh, this is this is a dud. This is clearly a bad deal. There was no new inventory, right? There was upside. There were uh, you, you, you bought things with equity in them. You had high cap rates. Um, there's, you know, obviously there's always duds, but you're talking like eight out of 10 deals were just good deals six, seven years ago, right? Now that's inverse. It's one or two out of 10, right? Um, and the reason being is the relationship due to the market and the price and what people are paying for them, what they're chasing, and also a combination of new supply coming out of the market. Because at the end of the day, what makes a good deal? And I guess that's really what we have to define here. So a lot of people don't understand what is a good deal, what's a bad deal. So let's keep things really simple and let's define them. First of all, that's different things to different people. That is the number one thing you need to understand. Okay. And that is predicated on your ability and your opportunity. Those two things. Now, the underlying good deal is simple, right? And I'm not going to make adjustments. Is This is a return on your capital, okay? And the relationship on how much return you get to how much risk you're taking on, okay? This is basic in investing uh, philosophy and theory. So now 
what that means to each individual, that changes. Okay. So someone may have a lot less um, requirements on the threshold of yield than I do. So deals that I don't think are good deals, they may think are great deals. Mm -hmm. And that's totally possible. And you need to understand that right out of the gate. Right? You do. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because we do get so many of these questions where it is a very vague thing. It's like, hey, I've got this land and I'm going to build this. Is that is that going to work? And it's like, well, well, dude, I have no idea. No like, clue. <laughs> I can't tell you if it's going to work gonna or not. What are you going to do? What are you going to build? Yeah. What's the market? I mean, oh, it's... I know. And that's whether it's building or acquisitions, we get a lot of those questions like that. And it is about identifying those metrics, those fundamentals from deal to deal. You know, what are your goals? What's going to work for you? What is it that you're doing? You know, what? And one of the things, too, is, uh, again, what what are you going to do? What's in your skill set and your ability to execute that is the value driver of you, you know, acquiring that facility? Yes. How are you going to improve it? Is it operations? Is it the accounting aspect? Is it the marketing? Is it, you know, how, like, what's your plan as, as far as improvement? Um, I think that's a huge one, identifying that. Um, and that's going to help you help you find the good deals because yes. in, in talking to brokers and all these things too, that obviously you've got to set up deal flow and you've got to have these deals coming in to even analyze, but you don't want to have a bunch of duds coming in from brokers that aren't fitting your criteria. Um, so identifying those metrics that are working for you, figuring out what it is that you're going to execute on and the value that you bring to that business. Um, I, those are those are just some points that, that came to mind as you were talking about those things. Yeah. For us, it's operations. We know this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The value is in operations. Like, that's where we can go. We can go and we can look and we can underwrite it. And I, I think for a lot of people, they may go, all right, I, I get what you're saying, AJ. It depends on anything else like that. But I need something that can help me out, right? And when I got started, we didn't really know what was a good deal or not because there was so much we didn't understand. So I think we need to simplify it even more. And it's actually the first step that we always go into. It's not if it's a good deal. It's that if it's a bad deal. Okay. So that's the one thing I think for everything that you need, everybody out there that you're listening to this, the number one thing that you need to understand and identify is if it's a bad deal and there's universal principles of bad deals, right? Mm -hmm. So that, it, that to me is a lot easier for us to identify, to see, because a good deal may be predicated on a lot more, but bad deals are usually universal. And when I look at bad deals, I'm simply looking at the risk and association to that return, meaning is there more risk than there is going to be probably return? And um, if so, I don't care what the return is, right? You're usually entering into a bad deal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really important for everyone to acknowledge, especially when you're starting out. But even at our our size, it's all about, is this a bad deal oh, first? 100%. Then how good of a deal can it be? Yeah. And right now we have those two forces. So what I want you guys to do when you're looking at deals is, first of all, don't listen to the buzzwords. Don't listen to things like cap rates, things like that. Get rid of those. You want to look at any deal that you have. You want to look at the first layer is the non-controllables. Okay. The non-controllables to me are the walk away. These are the red flags. These are the ones that, you know, this is a bad deal and I'm leaving. We're not doing anything about it. 
And it, to me, I think those are universal. Those should be everywhere. So if I identify a deal that's a bad deal because of the first phase, which is the uncontrollables, that doesn't mean it's a good deal for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. To me, that should be a universal you avoid. Mm-hmm. And one of those that comes to mind, uh, and, something, an example yeah, of that would so be like. Let me break it down. How I kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, may be, it may be um, things that the, the first and foremost, when you're dealing with uncontrollables, is I look at um, percentage of new supply coming onto the market, right? That would deteriorate competitive competitiveness, but it's not that there's new supply coming out of the market. This is very important. It's the percentage of new supply, meaning is there so much new supply coming out of the market that I cannot in any way, shape or form underwrite how that's going to affect this market. Meaning if I have a, a million square feet in that market and you have half a million square feet coming on of new supply, that's a 50% increase in supply. I, I don't know how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Right. No, and, and we've and so, seen that, dude. And we've I mean, seen it. Absolutely. We yeah. see it all the time. So for me, then you're into guessing. That's not investing. That's that's guessing. And especially if you're talking about buying an asset, when you're paying these super high prices, you're now shifting where you have this massive unknown risk, right? That's totally out of your control. Those are no-gos for me. You're paying an astronomical um, valuation in most cases today, but you have a huge unknown that is without out of your control that you don't know how that'll affect the underlying demand, meaning um, your overall occupancy plus what you can charge. And there could be a deceleration of chargeable rents. Okay. That to me is a big no-go. Well, and we've seen that go the other way too, where like we've seen where we've had these markets that demand is high, all the stuff's high, but the cost of building is so expensive Yes, that there's no way you could do it. There's no way yep. you could compete with the existing facilities. You just, there's, there's no way. So that's like, we look at that as a trigger for the opposite, where yeah. it's an acceleration of what you can charge. Yep. You know, it's going to go up. And so these no go or these out of control ones are big ones. Other things like Connor just mentioned, which we've seen before are facilities that um, are in floodplains that are in areas um, where the they're shifting roadways. Okay, they may be changing a road to a one-lane road. It may become a pass-by. They're they're changing fundamentals about that three-mile radius that you're in that is going to or has the potential to substantially hurt the operations and things that you're currently buying off of. So I'm buying off of what's existing, but the nature of what I'm buying, uh, the nature of that market is fundamentally changing in a way that Mm. will affect demand and revenue. Those are the things you're looking for because they're out of your control. So it's not like you can just figure out a simple solution. Now, you may be able to, that's fine. But I'm saying the solution to solve the problem that would be driving those changes, you can't do because it's out of your control. You would have to adapt, right? which is fine, but that's something out of your control and you really need to understand. Yeah. Or there's, or maybe there's nothing you can even do about it. Like we had a deal that we were looking at. Perfect example, like you brought up was the floodplain issue where a number of buildings had burned down and we were going in with the idea that, yeah, there's a huge value add. We're going to go in great market, rebuild those buildings and um, we'll be good to go. Come to find out the floodplain maps FEMA had changed and updated over the years. And that facility was now in a in a place and in a point where you couldn't do anything. You yeah. couldn't actually build on that unless you came in, tore everything down, 
brought it up uh, above that uh, floodplain elevation. Which was that, astronomical, I mean, which you don't even know the city no, would allow. They, no, the city didn't even yeah. know that they allow you to do it. So it was like hard pass, like we're yeah. out. And so. it, these are, you know, because we, we talk about risks, everybody, right? And there's three levels of risks that we have. And the big one is the risk of ruin, okay? You want to avoid the risk of ruin. So when I'm looking at deals that are no-goes, other things that we look at is when you guys are being presented a deal, but it's based upon performa that somebody just made up and has no relationship. Now, not every broker does this, but a huge percentage of brokers we're seeing today are building out performas to justify what the owner wants. Okay. So what that means is that you have unrealistic, unachievable performance. You have vacancy in the market and they're assuming that you're going to fill up that vacancy when all the competitors have it. You can't figure out what, you know, you're like, this is an overall oversupply issue currently in the market. There's no demand to fill it up. That's why all the competitors have it. But yet you're buying as if those things are going to take place right? That's a real big no-no. It's That's that's something that's going to get you in trouble um, and quickly. Now, the performa part is something that you really need to look at because whether it's a deal or not depends on the reality of the current situation, not a performa that somebody made, mm-hmm. okay? Now, when I say this, you have to be understand, we buy off performa. We just don't pay for it. Those are two very different things. Because we're going to operate it as it could be. As it could be. As we've measured. We're going to pay for what it is actually doing. 100%. And so you need to uh, really weigh those two things. So when we're looking at no-goes, we're looking principally at market uh, conditions currently, market conditions that are going to change, that are going to affect demand. Uh, occupancy and the ability to charge certain rates. Other things we look at is the ability for that facility to do certain things. Okay. And what I mean by that is there may be um, certain things that are in that facility, which I I got a big one. I'm going to talk about this a lot. Um, You have facilities that you, uh, okay. I'll make a video of this, everybody on, um, YouTube to talk about, but a lot of people like pulling in two separate business models into um, one business model so that they can receive the rewards of it. What I mean is they like to have you buy a storage facility and let's say the gross revenue is 100,000 or 200,000, but 100,000 of that is from um, uh, U-Haul that they have on it and you're paying a five cap. Here's the problem. You have two different sources of income, but yet you're paying as if it was all on the real estate. So if I'm buying a business, I may pay one and a half times for revenue or three times for revenue. U-Haul's a franchise. You don't own that revenue. You don't need anything. So it's going to get a much less multiple. But when it's coming from a real estate asset, it's a much higher multiple because it is... Um, it, it, it is hard assets, tenant based, right? It's a safer thing. So what they do is they're off, they're combining that revenue in and they're getting a crazy high multiple off that revenue that would never be paid in the marketplace in any normal situation. Mm. Nobody would go out and pay for that revenue at that price, but because they're tying it into the real estate, they're getting it as if it was real estate revenue. This is a huge problem, and this is a big risk that I see people taking in where they're paying a five cap where 20, 30% of that revenue was coming off of U-Haul sales. And I'm like, what are you doing? That 
what if U-Haul pulls your ability to do it? What if the city does, right? You you, you can't make that up. Like yeah. you're going to be devastated. Or they run out of trucks or do this or that. Like, I mean, it's so out of your control. Yeah. I mean, those are big no-nos. Yeah. You don't own that infrastructure you don't own and you it. can't affect it. You don't own the revenue. Yeah. Like it's, you can't pay for it it's as if you one. own it and it's real estate. Um, these are no-nos to me. Uh, so understanding the revenue, where they come from, right? So the price in relationship to what's going on needs to be analyzed really, really carefully. So just because, in fact, too, in that situation, right, they may have been like, oh, I'm getting an eight or a nine cap. But I look at it and say, but you're not getting an eight or nine cap on the real estate. You're paying an eight or a nine cap on, you know, 50% revenue from, uh, uh, U-Hauls, which in fact means you're way overpaying for that revenue mm-hmm. because that revenue, you should only be paying it like one time. So you're paying multiples higher. And so yeah. is it a good deal? No, it's not. Even though you may think you are because they say we're selling it to you as an eight or a nine cap. So understanding the source of the revenue, how much you own, where it comes from and what you're paying for, right? Dude, such a good point. And, and that, that kind of reminds me too, like we're, we're always talking about how some of these costs and expenses aren't uh, accurately represented either in some of these things. And some of the brokers don't know that. Uh, again, where uh, storage in and of itself is kind of its own asset class where it's odd, but, you know, apparently out in the world of, you know, acquisitions and uh, so on and so forth, a lot of brokers and uh, businesses in general that are trading for $5 million or less aren't even accounting for the, the owner benefit of yeah. of the business and, and you know that salary that the owners yes. acquiring or or any of that, and they're just calling that you know revenue like, because they get them because that increases their NOI, yeah, which gives yeah. them a much higher sales price exactly. on that cap rate. So it's like, I mean, those little things like that where you get a lot of brokers that come from that that acquisitions world that aren't tying in that cost of management, mm-hmm. whether that's you. Or you're somebody hiring else. somebody. Yep. I mean, that's another huge, huge ticket item where it's just knowing these little ins and outs and these different things where, and this is a podcast episode we should do in and of itself, where we sit down and we kind of debunk some of the industry, the quote unquote industry standards, you know, yeah. that's like just yeah. so common you yeah. know, that you see that yeah. really shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. Because regardless, that is not, and I understand from a valuation standpoint where it's hard to value businesses, you know, apples to apples, um, when you have such a wide, dynamic, varying cost of management, right? Uh, so I get it from the standpoint of valuation, but when it comes to the actual realistic, you know, gross revenue expenses aspects of a particular business, I mean, you should you should be tying all of those in. It'd 100%. be insane not to. I mean, are you going to run it for free? Yeah. Are you going to find somebody to run it for free? I, I mean, it makes it, that's just so crazy to me that that happens. And we see it all the time. Oh, yeah. And owners yeah. like to play those games. So when you're looking at, is it a good deal or a bad deal? The number one thing is, are you even looking at the value correctly? Is the revenue weighted? Is the expense ratio rated? So, you know, we have no goes, but then the second layer you come into and you say, what are you actually paying for? Like, what is the true value of it? And so these are two things that I think everyone needs to do. They need to really understand where the value is being derived from, understand that all not all sources of revenue are the same, and understand the expense load and what that expense load is 
actually happening currently, what it will be under you, right? So then you mirror over that price and then you can see how that affects this. I'm doing air quotations of value that it's on the market because I do not believe that price equals value. A lot of you know no, I talk about this a lot. So just because it's selling for a certain price does not mean that that's the value. Okay. I do not believe in that. And so you need to understand where that price is coming from. And like I ask, I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the price. And we're not, is this just what the price, is this what the owner just said? That's what we're going to sell it for. And the broker's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, that makes sense why your performance numbers are this, right? Mm -hmm. Because the owner just said, that's the number, which I don't care. I just need to know. Right. right? I, right. I need to know, is this his real number? Is this a point? Right. It, or is this because of, um, you know, uh, poor underwriting or something else? And so non-controllables, everybody, from there, you go on to understanding the drivers of the value and how that's represented within the price that's being asked. Okay. And then from there, the third top level, I think, is understanding what it will be with you. Now, you mix all these things together and you can find the ticking time bombs that you're like, oh, geez, we got to avoid this. Um, but you can also find the things that like, wow, this was totally overlooked. This was uncovered. And I like to tell people, you know, like investing is four dimensional. You got to look at this from all sides and all scenarios, right? And you got to stress test different circumstances to understand how in relation revenue is held to the market and what people are asking uh, for that and what the future earnings may be and what the kind of risk that market holds in there. If you have a flood of new supply coming on to the market, I don't want to pay as much because my risk is going up dramatically that the projected levels or the current levels of occupancy and revenue are not going to be there in the future. So to me, that's not worth as much because all you're looking at to understand value is the retur future return you're going to get on your capital, right? That's it. Now, you may not understand why certain people are doing certain things, meaning acquisitions, things like that, lots of times because they have abilities to do something you can't or they don't care and their buying criteria and everything's different. You have a lot of people that may just buy it. Like, I don't even care mm -hmm. if it just breaks even. I'm happy because I need the depreciation or something like that. Right. So don't 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 be upset if you're not getting a deal because other people are making decisions that don't work for you. Mm -hmm. Just pass on it. It's OK. Yeah. It Dude, just we just need had, to look for more deals. Yeah. We just had one of those last uh, last early fall, I would say, where, I mean, we had this deal that was right in our backyard. I mean, it made, it'd make a ton of sense for us to go in there, offer a high price since we're, you know, we've got the infrastructure in this community already, uh, X, Y and Z. But um, they, the terms of closing and the competition that we were up against, it was just like there was no reasonable way or, yeah. or any 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 possible way that you could even begin to perform again reasonable and accurate due diligence and and get everything get your ducks in a row and everything that you need to do to make a secure and safe and informed calculated investment decision and move um and we just said yeah yeah see ya we're done we're walking away <laughs> like, and there's uh, no way dude that's we're totally out. fine walk yeah. away from deals um, 100% i will tell you that right now to understand deals you got to be under uh, writing it and one of the things that you can do is after it closes ask the broker what what did they see in this? What so I ask you know mm, what were all idea. the parties that are coming to the table? What how were they underwriting it? 
how did they view it? Where did they see the opportunity in it? Um, because I want to understand what people are doing in the market. I want to understand if there's things that I'm missing or not, right? And lots of times it's like, oh, great. They had an opportunity that I didn't, good for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Or they had abilities that I don't have, good for them, right? So remember, opportunity and ability combined. And uh, this will change. It may change how you're trying to buy. Maybe you need to move into different markets or different size of assets, or it may change what you're looking for so that you're more in line with what you have as opportunity and abilities in the market. And it probably means you got to look at a lot more deals. We look at 10 times as many deals as we used to, to find that value and to understand it. Um, And, you know, make sure you guys really do understand the value that it's not being told to you by a broker that represents the person selling it, right? There's nothing wrong with brokers representing people that are selling it, but they're not representing you. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get that price that that seller wants. That's it. So you've got to take it with a grain of salt, right? And so they're not your broker. They're not representing you. So you need to do your due diligence and really understand for yourself where that value is coming from, what it's being attributed to, and how that plays out in the future. Remember, phase one, foundational, all the things that you can't change or do. Those are the bombs. Those are the immediate walk away. This is not a deal or there's too much risk for this to be a deal, right? So I'm going to walk away. The next phase is understanding overall uh, value and the value's relationship to the sales price and where that's coming from. Phase three is your strategic plan with the asset and its current value and sales price and what you can do, achieve, and how that'll play out under you. And that will lead you to find opportunity and to actually find good deals for you. Dude, I love it. Such a succinct and easy easy way to break all of that down. Obviously, there's a lot of a lot of different steps within all of that, but uh, just breaking that down in a simple outline for people to follow and understand and start executing on, I think is, is hugely valuable. Um, and I love it, dude. Absolutely cool. That's awesome. Well, well everybody, I hope this helps and get yeah. out there. You know, it's hard today. You know, we're finding a lot of deals um, because we understand this process so well. So we can find instant immediate value. Um, once again, if you want to invest with us in our fund one, follow the link b- below. Um, other than that, though, we'll talk to you all later. Sounds great, guys. We'll see you.